we're here with RJ Ruggles, who is the founder of Homeroom. And we're really excited to talk to him today, learn about uh, his path to starting Homeroom, how he's using no code to help enable that, um, and just more about no code in, in general and community. And I'm sure we'll touch on a bunch of different topics. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. And yeah, thank you for coming uh, in the middle of your fundraise, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well. So, yeah, much, much appreciated. First, I'd love to uh, learn a little bit more about your background and how did you come up with the idea for Homeroom and kind of get it to where? where it is right now. But yeah, so just a bit about my background. I am a two-time founder. So I, in addition to running Homeroom, I also run Playtime, which is an adult lifestyle brand for kinksters, fetishists, and adult content creators. And so I have had a really non-traditional entry into tech, which I think is probably why I'm such a big fan. I was a sex worker and makeup artist, actually. And going into 2018 and 2020, I was like really starting to build a career. I started, I was working at Mac, I started doing classes for LGBT individuals, trans women, and women of color over the age of 40, trying to teach them about makeup and beauty and how to use products and everything. And then COVID. <laughs> so overnight, in the span of a month, I lost my job. I obviously wasn't doing sex work. And of course, you know, you know how the United States treats sex work. So of course I didn't have insurance. I didn't have backups. I didn't have, I couldn't apply for, you know, unemployment. Those, all those options weren't available to me. And so I kind of was just in this weird space where I didn't know what to do. And I had taken a job going, trying to get back into IT, but because of COVID, I wasn't able to actually train or onboard. So for the first six months, I literally was like answering phone calls, like maybe eight times a day and spending the rest of the seven and a half hours doing nothing. So rather than waste it, I started trying to find something to do. I built Playtime solo for a year. And we really just focused on community building as a way for us to get our name out there. And so I built our Shopify, ran our email marketing, all of our influencer marketing, our social media, like all of it, and just read and read and read and as much as I could and started learning about it. And so because of no code, I was able to scale. We did 53, 53K in sales our first year. We brought on an executive, I brought on a virtual assistant who's now my executive assistant and started bringing on various community members uh, to turn into a community driven and community run company. Uh, which now it is. It runs independent of myself. I, I only have to spend like an hour or two on it now. And so what ended up happening is we built this Discord server. We were like super excited about it. We had partnered with someone to do like a, a gate on, on it. So people had to like sign up for a plan and everything. We tried to turn it into a social network and it worked really well. We had people from all walks of life, doctors, lawyers, you know, servers, waiters, whatever, all you know, finally having a safe space to talk about kink, talk about all these things that they were interested in, find friends, not feel so weird and out of place for once and doing it in a private safe space. And so as a business owner, I said, all right, built this thing, it's going well. Now I need to understand the value from it. Let me build my OKRs, let me build my OARs, let me start to de um, develop metrics. And all of those resources just didn't exist. You know, Discord has really lackluster server insights in my opinion and it was just really difficult to understand the value that we were built we were providing and also understanding how to execute and run operations and so that's where homeroom came from and essentially what we're doing is building an all-in-one software platform that allows you to merge automation people management community operations and community insights um, into one single place so Creators, large and small, enterprises, large and small, can finally have the tools necessary to build, manage, and scale communities of any size with all of the resources possible to make that happen. So yeah, it's kind of the, the story of how it came together. That's amazing. Incredible story. Uh, that I have a ton of questions that, that come out of <laughs> 
So I think first, before we go go too much into homeroom, I'd love to learn a little bit more about playtime because that's super, there are a lot of really interesting things there. One, I'm curious, what what tools, like you mentioned, use no-code tools to build this. So yeah, maybe start there. Like what did you use uh, to get that off the ground? Uh, yeah. Right now to run it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, playtime is probably the most fun. I'm actually, in fact, I'm, for those of you who can't see, I'm wearing a button-up shirt that has dinosaurs on it. This is one of our most popular prints. So yeah, I love it. It's a lot of fun. I basically dress like a giant toddler is what I like to tell people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, well, basically what I started with, I mean, a lot of people don't think about it this way, but Shopify in and of itself is kind of a no-code platform, honestly. Um, you're essentially able to build an entire e-commerce company um, without ever writing a line of code. And so that was kind of my introduction to it and, you know, doing entire web design, integrating different apps. And then from there, I started kind of like going forward. I discovered Notion really early on, which was just mind-blowing to me because it was like, not only did I have a space for operations and agile project management, I had my own internal wiki, I had help desk, I could make a websites from it. And so from that, it just kept growing and growing. And so what we did was we used Shopify for our front end. We used Tapcart for our mobile apps, for native mobile apps on iOS and Android for Playtime. We started using Notion for pretty much everything internal. So all of our people management, our, our workflows, onboarding, task management, wikis, all of that is stored inside Notion. Mm -hmm. Our corporate website, we use Super as a way to publish the website for it. So if you go to hq.playtime.co, P-L-A-Y-T-Y-M-E, that's all inside Notion. And so then we use tally forms and embedded that in Notion to do our job applications, had those flow into Airtable. And so it just kind of kept growing and growing. And so now that I've kind of reached the ultimate graduation of using Xano, which I may, may not be familiar with that one, but essentially that is your backend. You can build your own API endpoints. You can build your own API documentation. We've reached that level now of trying to basically build all of our software as much as we can. And it's becoming really powerful. So yeah. <laughs> that, that's awesome. And I, I think that's a, also a great example of, I think, how people can use no code. It's, it can seem overwhelming. It's like you hear all those things, but you don't have to start with all those things. You can start, like you said, with just Shopify and then yep. add on the website with Super and you realize you need forms and you're using Tally and then you start using. And I, I think that it's that's a really good way to kind of think about as you kind of add on what you need. Yeah. Well, I, what I always like to tell people is, and I'm so happy I discovered no code. I went to school for computer science for a year and I stopped because my brain does not work in a way in which I can be a traditional programmer. It just doesn't work that way for me. And so one of the things I love about no code is I am, I'm incredibly visual. If you can't tell by the giant rainbow dinosaurs on my shirt, I'm very visual. And so what was really cool was I, the way that I always think about it is a programmer is going to tell you, you know, Python's really good for scripting or C++ is very good for object oriented. It's the exact same thing with no code, but instead you're just using software uh, solutions rather than programming languages. So for me, it's like, if I'm trying to do automation between multiple applications and it doesn't require a lot of setup, I'm gonna be able, all right, Zapier is the rest way to go. If I need to be able to have something that's a little bit more custom, I might use Innate or Integromat. If right. I need to do forms, Tallyform. It's the exact same concept, but instead of thinking programming languages, you're using applications. And that's the way I like to explain it. Yeah, totally. It's just like, you're still coding in a way. You're just doing mm -hmm. it really it's faster, cheaper. You, you can do it on your own. Yeah. I, I like to tease some of my developer friends because they'll show me stuff they've been working on. They're like, oh, this took me three or four months. And most <laughs> no-code people, especially when they reach our level, will say, I could do that in like six hours. <laughs> so it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so I guess on Xano, are you using that? I, I haven't learned a ton about Xano yet. Actually, I want to learn more about it. Are you using that 
as like a backend for Shopify and everything or how are no, you? No, so actually we're using, we're planning Xeno for Homeroom. Exactly. Yeah, so we just started really diving into it. So we haven't implemented anything yet. Um, however, I'm, I'm very bullish on the platform. I think it's a really great software solution for Kesh over there. Me and him have talked. And I think one of the things that they've done really well is that they have tried not to do everything. I think a lot of no-code solutions make the mistake of trying to be all in one. And I don't think that's the right approach. I think right. figure out what you're really good at and the niche that you're, or the problem you're trying to solve and stick to it which for Xano, they say upfront, they're like, we are not the place you start. We are the place you graduate to, yes, um, which yeah. I think is such a great way to do it. And so they've done like office hours and they have, the one thing I like is they have their non-technical founder lead the office hours to like show how a non-technical person can use Xano, which is really cool. But Prakash, he's done some really cool sessions. He did like one where he built a, a Star Wars cantina using Xano, which is like such a cool idea. And so, yeah, it's just a really great solution, but I tell everyone like, it's what you graduate to when you're ready to build backends for yeah. just getting started, stick to Airtable. That's going to be all you need. <laughs> I I think that's spot on. Yeah. And, and I agree. I think Xano, the reason I'm interested in it and want to learn more is it's, I've been impressed by the product and it seems like it'll, it's really solving a need, I think for people who, who need when they graduate from like at a certain point, Airtable is just going to start breaking down at, at a certain scale. And I think that's awesome that Xano is there for that. I agree. And, and, and it's funny because a lot of people, like, for example, most people don't know Airtable has a max of 50,000 records. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people don't know those things. And so what you just touched on, I think is the most important part of scale. And I think that's why Bubble has taken off is, you know, they're, you're able to scale a platform to thousands and thousands of users and it can, you know, work well. My frustration with Bubble is it's very closed, which is the reason I don't use it, but I definitely think it's a great solution for so many, so many people. Yeah, totally. So the other thing I was interested in, so, so you mentioned that Playtime is community run now and, and it sounds like the community or, or maybe you can elaborate is, is running it yeah. in some ways. And what kind of comes to mind with me there too, is I know that seems to be kind of the web three dream that you see on, on Twitter, a lot of like a community run thing. And I, I don't know if there's any, you know, similarities there or, or kind of how the community incentivized to run it and how is that working? I, that's just seems like a really novel idea there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Happy to answer. So what I mean by community run is we have done it. We've really been focused on trying to find community members in order to run various parts of the organization. And I'm sorry, one second. I'm so sorry. I'm so no sorry. Worries. Sorry about that. Yeah, no. So what I mean by that is for when we say community driven and community run for playtime, yeah. what I mean is that we actually have found community members to run various job opportunity, uh, job positions within the company. And so for example, we brought on interns to take over pretty much all of our marketing. So we have people who are in the fetish community who run our TikTok, our Instagram, our Twitter. We have a community manager in training who I've been personally training to run our discords. He also helps lead our intern team and, and they have, they run their own marketing meetings and everything independent of me. Our podcast, one of our, our, our collaborators he was originally an ambassador uh, that we worked with and they have affiliate codes to promote our products and stuff like that but turns out he's a emmy award-winning journalist un unbeknownst to me and uh -huh. so he has his own podcast that we produce and he does all the editing and one of our interns helped with doing the editing and the promo clips and everything like that and then now we have community members who are now starting to do, learn more about our shopify operations and so it's really cool because it's like i get to sit back and be more of a leader and a ceo while they bring to the table the things they do they want to do and the reason is 
my leadership style, I like to be very decentralized. It's a big reason why I'm a big fan of Web3. We set OARs, area of responsibility. People know what their job roles are, and they are the people who need to be making the decisions. We'll asynchronously collaborate on thoughts, opinions, and give our give a outline of what we think should be done for various decisions. But then ultimately, whoever is in that area of responsibility, it's their job to make the call, mm-hmm. make the decision, and then put it into practice. And so it's allowed us to operate so much more effectively because essentially we're allowing people to own their own roles and have fun with it. And so up until now, a lot of it has been volunteer. We, because I've been so focused on homeroom, <laughs> I haven't been able to uh, really set up the incentive structures that I want to. But now that we're about to finally close, Playtime is going to be reincorporated as a C-Corp. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be setting aside a community equity a section, so we'll be able to mm-hmm. offer equity to various community members who contribute. And then we're hopefully going to, that as we start to increase our sales and increase our numbers, we'll then be able to do profit splits with various people in the community who help us out. So it's really fun. That That's awesome. It's So it sounds like, you, you know, you created this community that, you know, created this community that's passionate about your product, about your business. And when you do that, then you can start bringing those people into the business, kind of the, the secret there. So the hard part is, you know, creating something that people are passionate about. Exactly, exactly. I always, that's why the whole concept of DAOs has been really fascinating to me because essentially Playtime is a DAO. I just don't like saying it is because... It's kind of a buzzword to me right now. I don't think many right. people know what uh, what it takes to actually run a, a business. And so, um, but it really is, you know, it, it, it's community driven, it's community run and community operated, which is what I always wanted. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it is a DAO. I guess it's a DAO, but it doesn't have like a cryptocurrency behind no. it. But it, no. it's, it's actually, it's funny. I, I have another <laughs> podcast with my friend called What Do You Think? And we talk yeah. about uh, different business ideas and every different every week's a different topic. And mm-hmm. we did DAOs uh, a week ago. And we kind of had that same discussion of like, you don't necessarily need a cryptocurrency for it to be uh, a DAO, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's, I think that's what's so interesting about DAOs in general is we're still figuring out like, what is the right, how do you set it up? How, what's the governance? What are all these things? And it's interesting, you know, even what you're doing of uh, if you set aside equity and and that's really interesting and other people could potentially follow that and it could be a C-Corp, right? It doesn't have to be. Yep. And I think that's, uh, it. yeah, it's, it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And it's funny because like, I, we don't do anything crypto related for Playtime because the audience that we target there really hates crypto. Like it would take the company if we did anything crypto related there. And that's okay. You know, I think we're in that space right now. I like to use the analogy. We're in the dot-com boom of crypto right now. A lot of scams, a lot of pyramid schemes, a lot of really, you know, horrible stuff. But on the flip side, there's so much experimentation happening, so much innovation happening. And a lot of people are making some really cool things that we're going to see the next Google or Amazon come out once the bubble pops. And that part is the exciting part. And so what I've tried to say, and I agree with you, is that, you know, a DAO doesn't need a cryptocurrency. It doesn't need to be tied to blockchain. It's more so the structure in the organization. It's a modern day co-op, you know, that's really the best way to think about it. Yeah, totally. Sweet. All right. So that was really interesting. Let's move, change gears a little bit to homeroom, right? I think this yeah. is kind of a good uh, uh, link to it, talking about communities. So I guess with homeroom, what are the no-code tools that you're using on that platform? You touched a little bit with Xano. Uh, yeah. And then maybe where are you now? And kind of, we can go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually built Homeroom's tech stack in like six hours. And I always like talking about it. I built it in. So I used uh, this application called Immersed VR, which is basically like 
everything you wanted from virtual desktop, but better. I can have like up to five virtual screens and everything. It's really cool. And so I hopped into VR on my Oculus, blew up my computer screen to like the size of a theater and just went to town. And so our backend currently for all of our clients and everything is run through Notion. So that's where we have our client dashboards, our community playbooks, our bot libraries and everything of that nature. We use Integromat to do all the automation. So like if somebody fills out a form, it notifies us in Discord. We use this, we have Slack and Discord, but we prefer to use Discord for internal comms. We use Slack for anyone external who happens to use it and we need to communicate with them. Yeah. For our front end, we use TypeDream. Uh, that's what our website was built in, was in TypeDream. Love that platform, super awesome team behind there. Yeah. Uh, and then for our CRM billing uh, and authentication and sign-in, we use Outseta. So Jeff is so cool. He was like super awesome when I first set it up and I was like, hey Jeff, I have these questions. He was like, here you go, RJ. So super bullish on them as a company. They've just been so incredible and the product is just absolutely outstanding. So we are currently in the process of working on building a new front end um, for our website uh, using actually a proprietary system with our internal engineers I'm super excited about. And then uh, we're looking at Builder HQ as what we're going to be used for our software platform, as an MVP for our software platform. Got it. So how does, how does the outset of fit in with like builder potentially or that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so builder technically has its own authentication and everything, which would be fine. But the reason we wanted to use outside, it was a couple of things. One, we wanted something that could handle sign-ins on our website, billing, and be able to do our CRM, which outside is one of the few tools that does all of it. Right. And so what we're basically will hope we'll be able to do is once we've built out the backend on builder, like the actual application, We'll then use Outseta for all of the sign-in, team accounts, billing, CRM, but they also could be our knowledge base and chat support. So it just, it eliminates the need for us to hack together a whole bunch of other solutions. And instead we can just have one central place for all of that. Got it. So, so you can use Builder, for example, as the, the app, but then mm -hmm. instead of having to build all the features that us Outseta has in Builder, you can use, use Outseta. Exactly. And one of the things I really appreciate that Outseta does is um, it, and Jeff even has spoken to this before, is they didn't set out to make a no-code tool. They right. just set out to make something that was all-in-one for membership software. It just so happened that they ended up there, which in my opinion is a perfect startup story, really. But they just make it so simple. You know, you just got a couple lines of code, you throw it into your header tag, you know, you're able to customize the UI a little bit with a dark mode or a light mode, you know, branded colors. And also it's really easy for customers. You know, every customer that we've worked with up until now when they go to set up their account, go to pay their billing and everything, they're like, RJ, this is so simple. This is so easy. I really appreciate it. I'm like, I didn't break, I didn't build this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm not taking credit for this. Totally. Yeah. We, in the, the last episode, podcast episode with, with Jeff, it was in interesting to learn about that. Like you said, how they started out, you know, going marketing to coders and it turns yeah. out, you know, the no code uh, channel has been really good for them. And right. That's kind of the, the magic of no code is you have all this you know, this whole system and you don't have to build up any, every, it's kind of like, there's no reason don't rebuild something if, if you don't have to. It's actually the biggest highlight that I make about no code and why I think so many developers I'm sure you've seen are like really toxic towards no code and like really attacking is they're like, oh, cause I think they look at it as their job being replaced, which I don't think of it as that way. The way I think of it is like, if you're working in react, which you know, but if you're working in react, you know, why rebuild a, a component for over right. and over and over again? We know what a button looks like, especially in Web 2.0. It's going to be circular. It's either going to be a pill, rounded, or square right. with, a, with a knockout or a fill. 
it's not going to change. It's the yeah. same button, no matter what application you're on. So why reinvent the wheel? Make it no code, simplify the process, and then customize the part that you can't. You're going to save yourself so much time. You eliminate the need to re redesign stuff. You eliminate a lot of bugs because you're not risking, you know, something breaking. It just simplifies so many things. It makes it so much more accessible. Yeah, totally. I, I like to think of it as uh, you know, Ruby on Rails, for example, is, is coding, obviously, but it's this framework that that takes care of it, it has all these packages on that built in. Yeah. And no code is, is kind of like that. It's just taking it to an, another level. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing, that can, it's awesome that you built this in, in VR. I feel like you're living in the future. Like <laughs> you're here in like 2030, like in VR, like using no code to build your startup. Which is <laughs> I have to say, it does feel like that sometimes. Like it's so funny because it's like, like I just I moved to San Francisco a year ago, January twenty eighth actually it was, uh -huh. it was the year, and it definitely has feels a little surreal because it's like we moved here. Me and my husband, you know, we're from Columbus, Ohio, which it's this it's a big city, but it's not San Francisco. And so within the span of a year, like to know that we're here and you know we're about to close our pre seed, and I, I, I of course I can't speak to who we're working with yet, but it's incredible the people I've gotten to meet and, and to connect with, and you know the day I got to tell my husband like we're going to be fine. I'm going to have a salary. And because I haven't had, I haven't taken a salary from at my, from my jobs at all for the past two years. My husband supports us entirely alone. And, you know, I got to tell him, I was like, XYZ is happening. Here's what I'm working with. And here's how much money we raised. And I'm used to it. So like, it feels normal to me. And he's like, and I'm like, oh yeah. And I built our website with the dot. I did it in VR, like <laughs> while sitting on the, the couch next to you. And he's like, what? <laughs> that's what you were doing and I'm like yeah you saw my hands waving around and I was telling you he's like I didn't know you were building a company with their headset on I'm like, sorry it, it is amazing I, I think you know this is like I, I, Oculus should be promoting this as, as on like a commercial I'll something. tell you what like, I'll tell you what Zuck if you want to meet I'm open to a conversation so I uh, just to get into the details there a little bit, you're using something called Immerse because I have an Oculus. Oh, oh my I god! Okay, like I want to try this out now. And can I can I fangirl for like two yeah, minutes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Immerse, which by the way, awesome founder. I think his name is Ringy. I think is how you pronounced it. And amazing platform. So basically, the way Immerse works is uh, you can have if you you can on the free level you can have up to one extra virtual monitor on top of your physical. So for example, if you have dual monitors, you can have up to three inside the app. Okay. Um, if you have one monitor, you can have up to two. On the paid though, you can have up with a four extra virtual monitors. Mm -hmm. um, and that's on top of what you have physically. So if you have a setup with like four monitors, you can have eight <laughs> mm -hmm. inside of VR, which is really cool. But essentially what they do, what it allows you to do is to have your screens in a fully immersive workspace. Right. And so sometimes I put myself on the beach. Sometimes I put myself in the middle of the Milky Way. Other times I'll just sit in all blackness. It really just depends on what environment works for you. And I find it helpful because I'm a person, I'm type two bipolar. And so because of that, it's really easy for me to get like distracted or things of that nature. And, but on the flip side, when I'm hyper-focused, I am hyper focused mm -hmm. and so it's been actually really great because I've been able to kind of turn my mental illness into a superpower and so I put my headset on I'm put some music on put on some lo-fi and I'm just completely immersed hence the name 
and what I'm trying to achieve. And so, yeah, I put myself in VR. I threw up Notion on my main screen. I had Integromat on the one to the right. I had um, documentation on the left. And then I had Spotify and my podcast and my lo-fi on the monitor above. Right. And I was having my Iron Man moment of just getting <laughs> stuff done. And um, now actually internally, we're testing out the hand controls on Oculus so I can do no code, use my hands to right. do no code. So that was really fun. I built an Integromat design just using my hands in oh my VR, God. which was really cool. So yeah, <laughs> I got to figure out a way to record it. I, I don't know how yet I could do that, right. happen, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> And if you, is that like, if you're sitting at your desk, you have your keyboard in front of you and you're typing like you normally would, but your screens are everywhere. Yeah. And actually they released a feature a few, I think I want to say two months ago, where now there you pull up your keyboard and it'll have you hit the Q in P uh, keys and then your keyboard will appear in VR. So you, when you look down, you can see the keyboard where it is in the, in the world as you're typing. Mm -hmm. So for those, I'm a touch typer, so I don't need to see my keyboard, yeah. um, but it is nice because you can look down and see your keyboard and you see your little hands like right. in, in VR. It's dope. Okay. Amazing. I'm <laughs> right after this interview. You I'm, need to go. Yeah, go get it. It's totally it free. It's totally yeah. free. And if you do the paid one, it's like 14 bucks a month. Yeah. I, I pay for it. It's worth it to me. So yeah. That, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, my thought, like when I am in VR, it's, it really is amazing. I haven't, I've used it, I use it like occasionally and like, I don't know if you've, you've played the ping pong game, but ping pong yeah. is really fun on Oculus. It is. Uh, <laughs> in some ways it almost like, it, it, it's almost a little bit scary to me because I can see the future where it's going to be so lifelike in like five or 10 years and it's going to get be really comfortable and it, it feel like it's going to be this world where we're all in VR all the time and that scares me a little bit but yeah like, <laughs> really cool so it's I don't know I, I will figure out a way to balance it I guess but it's yeah I, I like to tell people I mean I feel like I don't, if you mind me asking how old 29 okay so I'm 29 too okay. um yeah I feel like our age is the most is the luckiest and the reason I say that is because, like, I remember using an almanac when I was little to, like, do book reports and having to, like, go to the library and, like, all that stuff. So we, our generation went from, I know what the save icon is. It's a floppy disk. Most of Gen Z has never seen one. You know what I mean? Like, we went from that through to now. And so I think that's part of the reason why VR seems so incredible to us is because we remember the virtual boy. We remember using the blue and red 3D glasses and everything. So to come from that to the Oculus, which is just completely mind blowing. And, you know, I was an internet kid and, and everything. So I remember Second Life when that became, that was like blew up and everybody's like, oh, you're gonna have like a virtual world or an office. This is now actually a reality and that's happening, which is slightly scary. I agree. But I think if done right, which I think Web3 presents the opportunity for, I think it can be really cool. So yeah. Yeah. So, so in terms of fundraising, how has that process been for you? And as much as you can say, it, you know, it sounds like it, but yeah. it blew my mind, uh -huh. the amount of interest that we got. We've officially reached a point where I'm having to say no, like multiple times uh -huh. a day at this point, which is not a bad problem to have. But for a Black, queer, polyamorous, like dude, it's been a lot and it's been exciting, but I also am trying not to take it for granted, you know, just in terms of numbers, like 0.6% uh, of uh, the 176 billion of VC that was deployed in 2020 went to black founders. Yeah. Barely half of a percent. And now for 2021, it looks like that's about 1.8% of VC funding went to black founders, mm -hmm. which improvement, but I think that speaks for itself. I'm not even going to have to say, I don't have to say anything else there. Um, so it is a little bit of that 
insanity of like realizing how much of a unique opportunity it is and being thankful for it, but also validation and that like, wow, this is such a standout thing that we're trying to do that we have a lot of people interested and not just interested, but like to the point that it, it took a, we were able to reach our, we're going to be able to reach our goal. If we close this week, it would have taken one month. We would have raised wow. our entire pre-seed in one month. Yeah. Um, which is incredible for an early stage startup, especially a pre-seed. Yeah. So I just feel really thankful. I have some incredible advisors who've been giving me some great advice and helping me mold myself into the CEO that I'm going to need to be because we're going to have to do a lot of things. We have to do things really fast. And I'm going to need to be not only a strong product manager and, and CTO and everything else, I need to be a strong CEO. And that takes a unique skill set. So I'm just really thankful we have the right people for, to make that happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think obviously there's so much more progress that needs to be made. So, so yeah, it's, yeah. You know, if you're, when you are just getting started with fundraising, uh, let's say someone, you know, is in your shoes, they maybe have uh, a prototype they're raising their pre-seed round. What do you even do to get started? How do you, who do you reach out to? How do you, how do you go from zero to one in terms of just getting started with fundraising? Well, one of the things that I've done is, and I tell founders is you are your best salesman for your startup. And I think the mistake some founders do is that they try to rely on other people to just, like do all the intros and do all the connections. I think that's the absolute wrong way to approach it. Don't be afraid to DM people. Twitter is like, Twitter is like the open door into VC, and a lot of people don't realize that. I'm a big proponent of using Twitter for work and not for personal. I think it's a terrible platform for personal use. But I will say, like, slide into those DMs, girl. Like, slide in, because if the deal looks right and it looks attractive, VCs, they're in it for the money. They're in it. They're literally started because they want to make tons of money. So they're not going to say no if they see a money opportunity. The other big thing is I use Loom, uh, L-O-O-M. Uh, which I know some people know, some might not. It basically allows you to record your webcam and your screen at the same time, upload, instantly upload to the cloud. So I always tell people like, go ahead and get your pitch deck down, get all that stuff down, but make some Loom videos for every introduction. It'll take you three to four minutes. It feels personal. And they get to hear from the horse's mouth of what you're trying to do, because there is nothing that can replace a founder's passion than hearing it straight from the founder. And then finally, leverage resources to get introductions. Lolita Taub, who is one of our advisors, she has a matching tool called the Startup Investor Matching Tool. You can go in, you fill out your information, put in your pitch deck, and then other it'll go out to all of the investors who are part of that network. And if they're interested, they'll request an intro with you. So that way you can connect. Mercury Bank has an investor database, which has a ton of resources and you know list of various people to reach out to. And then finally, Crunchbase. Go to Crunchbase, look at your possible competitors, see who invested, and then make a list of those investors and start reaching out and seeing if there's an opportunity. Because at the end of the day, you know, people are going to be interested if you have something powerful to show. So don't be afraid if you have no, no network, build your own network. Yeah, that's amazing advice. For, for the for looms, would you, is that the kind of thing you would do a cold outreach, but create a loom and say, hey, yeah. hey I'm RJ and here's the loom of, of my pitch kind it's, of? It sounds crazy. This, this sounds wild. Uh, but the whole reason I even got introduced to one of our first investors is because I had built our pitch deck and everything recorded a Loom video saying, hi, my name is RJ Ruggles. I'm CEO and founder of Homeroom. Here's what we're trying to do. I kept it like four minutes and I just cold emailed and was like, here's the thing. And that's scary, right? Because you're like, uh, but here's the thing. And I say this all the time. The worst they can say is no. Right. <laughs> if they say no, then now you have this thing. You've done it. You've gotten over the hump. You know, you can do it and you can go and do it better next time. But if they say yes, 
it took you four minutes of your time and you just possibly landed your lead investor, right? So like, that's the way to think about it. Don't let the fear of rejection stop you because you're gonna get tons and tons of rejections. Look at those rejections as an opportunity for you to do better next time. And also say to yourself, well, they missed that. Totally, I, I think it's genius. And especially if, you know, anything you can do to stand out, right? Because if, if you're just emailing, hey, can I have a call? Hey, can I have a call? I mean, everyone's doing that, right? Yep. So if you can stand out in any way, and especially in a loom where someone can, I think investors also get a sense of founders just from hearing yes. them pitch and, okay, does this person get it? Do they, are they someone that I want to, you know, I feel like they're going to lead a, lead and run a big company. I think that a video, you know, if, if a picture is a, a thousand words, a video is like 10,000. So, 100%. Yeah. And, and what's interesting um, is like, it's especially true for like, especially early stage. Because the thing is with early stage, like the investors are investing in the founder right. just as much as they are the company. Because at the early stage, like you don't really have much, right? You have a prototype, maybe you have an idea, maybe, you know what I mean? Like, so there's still a lot of unknowns. So getting that connection, I think is, is so important. And again, leveraging no code, you know, use Docsend to send the deck. You can use, you know, attach the loom in there, or put it all in Notion and make Notion your data room. You know, there's tons of ways to save money and not have to spend a ton of money to do it right, you know? Yeah, totally. And with no code specifically, I'm, I'm curious, like, how did, did investors, did they ask questions about the fact yeah. that no code, was that a problem for anyone? Was it a, a, a pro for anyone? I'm curious like, how, how that process was. So it's so funny because we only up until now have had one investor who expressed any concerns about the no code thing. And his main thing was, because I really think the narrative of being a out tech outsider and closing a fundraising round completely off of no code is a powerful one. And his concern, he was like, well, well, what does that say? If like someone else comes in and they're like, oh, I can do it myself. And my exact response was, is our differentiating moat and our competitive advantage is our level of knowledge and expertise on community. Someone else could come along and try to replicate what we do, but that doesn't mean they're going to do it right. They're going to do it well, or they're going to execute it well. It's very different. It's very easy to make a Facebook clone. It's very hard to be Facebook, right? Like <laughs> ultimately the software is just software. It's the, it's the individuals running it and managing it and executing it and the team leading it that really matter. And so I think that's what people need to recognize is that your customers don't care if you build it on Retool. They don't care if they build it on Airtable. They just want it to work and solve their problem. And if it does, they're going to pay you boohoo the money to have it, to keep it. Yeah, that's an, <laughs> that's an amazing answer. And I, yeah, I'm like nodding along like, yeah, let's- you, you're, you're like the living proof of it. Like, you know, you have this great platform. You have like, what do you say? Like a thousand like members that signed up for so far. And like, you know, you're doing, you're proving it like natively, like, you know what I mean? Actively, it's so cool. Yeah, totally. And NoCode MBA is built on web, the, it's Webflow, Airtable, Zapier, JetBoost. See? Uh, <laughs> Matt, the whole platform. Because when I like, I was like, I need to build this in no code if I'm going to build no code MBA. So, so right. Totally. You can build all sorts of businesses that can scale pretty far. And like you said, no one cares what the programming language is underneath nope. as long as it works. As long as it works. I mean, it's the exact same. And that's, I'm so happy you said that because it is the exact same thing, right? Like yeah. it's like, no one cares what Mercury was built in, what language Mercury Bank was built in. We just care that it does what it needs to do and does it well and does it effectively, which it does, by the way, huge fan of Mercury Bank. Thank you know, it's, it's <laughs> 
it's like delightful to use compared to like Bank of America or any other bank that we I had tried a few other banks and did not go well in particular I had a really horrible experience with Novo which was really really upsetting and then we went to Mercury and it was like the the heavens had parted and the light had shown like it was wild I'm a huge fan of it yeah yeah, that's awesome it's like we're in such an amazing time now where there are all these amazing products that you can use as a founder which didn't exist 10 years like 10 years ago or even five years ago you were just stuck with whatever bank there was and you're stuck with these tools and things like that yeah i think that's what makes me so excited about no code is the entry for people outside of tech to use technology to further their goals You know, I think maybe Seth, you can relate is that I think working in tech, it makes you and then being friends with or like my husband, for example, is a a therapist who works for the government. Mm -hmm. So like seeing the difference of opportunity for those outside of tech versus those inside of tech makes you realize just how lucky we are to be in this space and the opportunities that could open up for a secretary who needs to run reports. She can stop copying and pasting out of Excel. She can just create a Zap that builds it out for her and maybe use a retool in order to have it organized in a way. You know, there's, there's so many opportunities for people to leverage it and help them further their careers in whatever area they are, whether they're a writer, a creator, a seamstress, you know, a painter, whatever that might be, there's so many opportunities for them as well. Yeah, totally. That's and that's a big part of what drives me with No Code MBA as, as a whole is bringing you know more people into the digital economy, teaching yep. people the skills that anyone can learn if they're willing to put in a little bit of time, and it, it just makes it so much more accessible. So yeah, I, I totally agree. One one other thing with, with fundraising, I, I know you know I think storytelling is so important and. That's a really great way to, I think it's important in getting investors and employees and really everyone to buy into your mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're a really amazing storyteller. I can already tell just from this podcast. Thank so you. Is, like, is there anything, you know, if someone is, you know, putting together their story, what can they think about to put together a good story about the business? Yeah. Oh, there's, oh that's a good question. Come naturally. I, I, well, one of it is, I'm sure you notice I love to talk. So like, that's part of it. I I think I just naturally just love to talk, but I think there's a couple of things. One, don't be ashamed of the hard parts of your story. You know, like I am very open about talking about me being a sex worker and being, and the challenges that that presented and being a tech outsider and having to learn a lot of stuff myself, because I think it's important to highlight, you know, I think a lot of people only see the stories of founders that raise all this money and then you go oh they got a 200,000 loan from their parents or they were a software engineer who exited out of stripe and you know were able to not work for two years and be fine you know but because of that a lot of founders then feel like ashamed of their own story because they didn't come from that no that is your superpower that is your strength the Mm -hmm. fact that you had to struggle and overcome those obstacles and were still able to achieve this is an accomplishment so don't be afraid to share it but then the other thing too is to make sure you tailor your story back to what you're doing right so like if there are moments that really like were the biggest catalyst for you to create or were a pivotal moment in your line of thinking that allowed you to reach where you are, talk about those things and highlight them and talk about how they affected you and why it it brought you here. Because ultimately the story should finish on this over, it should just finish on where you landed, but the journey that you got you there should highlight all of the different opportunities that then landed you at this destination because the journey is just as important as the destination. And so, yeah, you know, in practice, stand in front of a mirror, like record, record yourself as painful as it is to watch yourself back and listen to your own voice, record, <laughs> record yourself because it'll let you catch things that you might otherwise not have. 
Yeah, but both, I, I love both of those things. One, you know, vulnerability, it's really hard for a lot of people, but is it is what makes stories great and, and helps you connect with people as well. And right practice, the first pitch is never going to be as good as no. the 100th pitch. And it's just not. It's My not. first pitch was horrible. <laughs> I had just got out of the hospital like the day before and I ended up being going first and it, it was bad. It was bad. But to highlight how things can turn around, my very first pitch was to Lolita. And now, and and it was just horrible. And then now a year later, she's, you know, an advisor and, and, and yeah. it's been such a great resource and help in helping us figure stuff out. And so you never know where life, where life would take you. Yeah, that, that's so true. And also that ties into not being afraid to you know, send that loom email or, yep. or, or ask for help because you never know. Like you, the worst that can happen is someone says no, and the, there's a lot Move of on. things that can in it out out of you know taking a small risk. Cool. So, uh, what are the future plans for Homeroom and for yourself now? Kind of looking into the next year. So, obviously, closing our fundraising round, <laughs> really great. But honestly, focusing on our products, getting our MVP out, trying to aim. We're trying to aim for end of quarter one as a goal, but you know how it is with startups. It always takes twice as long and twice as expensive as you plan it. So we'll see. But yeah, trying to get our MVP out and really just starting to really highlight the importance of community. I'm a really big believer that community building can be one of the most powerful differentiating emotes for early, especially for early stage startups. It's your feedback loop. It's your early your early uh, users, your evangelical users who are going to share knowledge and, and get other individuals to buy in. I, I just really love community building and trying to share that knowledge with as many people as possible is a really big thing for me. And then finally, just really starting to lean into uh, Web3. And, and putting myself in, in the right spaces to be visible, especially as a person of color and a queer person of color at that, in a space that is heavily, heavily cis white male dominated, uplifting women and female voices in, this, in that space as well and highlighting their projects, highlighting the stuff that they're working on so they can have a seat at the table as well. Because what I would hate to happen is to repeat all the mistakes that were made with Web2 in terms of the diversity, inclusion, and, and accessibility. And so I just really want to be part of that movement to make things more equitable and fair. So yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> for for community, what are some of the things that you're planning to do or already doing to kind of build this community around around homeroom? Yeah. yeah. So we're about to launch our own podcast here uh-huh. probably in the next month or so, which I'm super excited about. I would love to have you on. But yeah, we're primarily going to be focusing talking about community and the intersection between that and Web3. And then additionally, in how community has helped uplift outsiders from outside of tech is something I really want to be able to. As far as it goes for some other spaces, we're finally slowly going to start opening up access to our Discord server. And the reason that we're doing it is not actually to get people on our software platform. I actually want to educate people on Discord. And this is something that most community platforms, besides Circle, but most community platforms, Circle aside, they do a great job at this. They're really bad at all. Can you remember the last time that Slack actually taught you how to use a feature? It's the same thing with Discord just kind of throws you to the wolves and says, good luck, figure it out. And so what we're hoping to do is do office hours, AMAs, education sessions, teaching them about the platform. So that way people can actually gain value out of it and hopefully stop feeling really overwhelmed in all these servers that they've joined over the past year. And then that hopefully being an opportunity for us to really highlight the importance of community. So, yeah. So it sounds like a big part, A, making sure that when someone joins your community, you are there helping them, making sure they're getting value right away. Exactly. Having things on a regular basis so that, you know, there's a reason to stick around and there's a reason to interact with people. One of of our team members, Zevian, who actually is our um, creative solution specialist. So a lot of our stuff in Notion, he builds out our strategy for some of the ways that we implement bots in Discord. His favorite thing to say is talking about basically his phrase, his 
reasoning is that anyone can make a blob on the internet, but the importance of community is making a blob that people actually want to come to. And, right. and for us that really, and this is something we try to teach our clients is that we're community managers, we're, com- you know, a community management as a service, you know, we're switching from a service model to a software model, right. but right now, like we amplify your voice, but we can't replace your voice. So ultimately, if you're not going to be present, you're not going to be active and you're not going to be here, the community is going to leave because they're here for you. They're not here for RJ from Homeroom. They're here for you. And so if you're not present, if you're not active and you're not available, then what is the reason for you building the space? Yeah, totally. And that's something that it definitely resonates a lot with No Code MBA and like building the community there. And for a while, you know, I have a circle community and it's not super active, but it's, I know that it's my fault because I'm not that active in that community <laughs> yeah. and focus more on building out the content and, you know, building up the platform. And, you know, it's something I've really realized that in order to have a good community, you have to really invest a lot in it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not just going to happen by throwing up a circle or throwing up a discord in. And there's definitely, obviously there's tools and that's what like what you're building with Homeroom to help you manage it, which is really because it's so hard, right? It, mm-hmm. I, I can speak to that. It's very difficult to, especially if you have other things in your business that you're trying to, to yes. do a good job with managing your community as well. So it definitely speaks to like the need and the opportunity of what you're building. I, well, one, you know, you got me to help you out now, so I got you. <laughs> uh, but also, yeah, you're right. And I think that's why, you know, Alexis Ahanian said it best is that we're going to see chief community officer become uh, a highly coveted role within or- large organizations. We see community manager job postings everywhere. Right. And I think that's only going to continue to increase. Yeah, totally. Are you hiring right now for uh, Homeroom? So we are actually in the process of looking for someone as a fractional community manager and some Discord and Circle education specialists. So if you know someone, feel free to, to ping me. It's just rj at homeroom.club. We'd love to talk to you. Cool. Awesome. And uh, where can people find more about you, about Homeroom, about Playtime? Well, biggest place is probably Twitter. It's just life with RJ spelled A-R-J-A-Y. And yes, you can make pirate jokes. I think it's great. And then, yeah, just life with RJ is pretty much on all platforms. And then if you're looking for Homeroom, our website is homeroom.club, or you can find us at homeroom underscore club on Twitter. Awesome. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Um, no, I think I thank you so much for having me, Seth. Like seriously, this was so exciting. It's so much fun. I can talk about no code for hours, as you can probably see. So thank you so much for having me on. And to anyone who's listening who is like nervous or curious or really confused on where to start, I definitely think what a no code MBA has built is a really great place to start. Like hop on there, do some looking around, check out some tutorials, and if you ever have any questions, just ping me on Twitter. Happy to help. <laughs> Awesome. Cool. This was really an amazing conversation. It was really fun to nerd out on no code and also <laughs> to learn about fundraising. There's some really good nuggets in there with fundraising and building a company in general and VR. And it was just such an interesting conversation. So thank you so much for, for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me. <laughs> cool.